Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to It's Complicated, the podcast to help you untangle your relationship with your phone. Well, we've all been pushed around. I'm Tanya Goodin, and each week I'll be talking to my guests about how they manage the relationship with the tiny tyrant in their pocket. We'll be talking about how our phone habits affect our work, our lives and our loves, and about what our relationship with our phone might just tell us about our relationship with ourselves. Well, we've all been swept away. If you want help and you want hope, you've come to the right place. This is It's Complicated. Lost everything you tried to say Cause we've all been swept away, yeah. This week, I'm thrilled to be talking to Nikita Gill. Nikita's often labelled one of the new breed of Insta-poets, with nearly half a million followers of her poetry on Instagram. But that neat label simply doesn't do her justice. She's also a graphic designer, a digital artist and a photographer, and the author of three books, Your Soul is a River, Wild Embers, Poems of Rebellion, Fire and Beauty, and Fierce Fairy Tales and Other Stories to Stir Your Soul. Nikita, thanks so much for coming in and chatting with me today. I've been really, really excited about meeting you and talking to you. I'm going to start by reading you a tweet. Yes. So this is a tweet I saw last week, and it reads, three days away from social media and my mental health is in a much better place. I've written so much, illustrated till my hand hurts, read three awesome books and met the most amazing people. The rumours are all true. Breaks from social are incredibly good for you. Mm -hmm. And it was that tweet that prompted me to try and persuade you to be on the podcast because that's your tweet. Um, And as somebody who has made their name largely or, 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 you know, to a greater extent through social media, I wanted to talk about where that came from. That yeah. feeling that a break was a good thing. Um, so I've been on the internet now um, initially with uh, Anonymous and later on under my real name uh, for 10, 12 years writing on the internet, showing my art on the internet. And I think the landscape of the internet changes quite quickly. Mm-hmm. So the when I first started showcasing my work anonymously, it was a very different sort of place. Like you didn't really talk about your emotions so freely on the internet. Now, the mental health conversation is doing considerably well. But unfortunately, because of the political time that we live in, Mm. um, the amount of, I would say, trolls, 
uh, and the amount of like problems that we're facing on the internet, especially as marginalized communities or women, has gone up considerably. Like um, in 2015, when I got my first break under my own name with my writing on social, the I genuinely believe that the internet wasn't quite as divisive. And I mean, I believe that there were loads of issues then as well. I think the internet was quite a superficial place. It was like a highlights reel, like social yeah. media, especially was a highlights reel. And then the mental health conversation, you know, started taking over more and more. And as things were getting better, I feel like Trump being elected happened. And then suddenly everything just went into chaos. Yeah. The great thing about the internet and social media is also the worst thing about it, which is everyone's opinion is valid. But that's the problem. But that means everyone's <laughs> opinion is valid. Yes. Yeah. And it's a real double-edged sword, isn't it? Because you're right. I think social media was very superficial mm. and you only wrote about lovely things. Mm. And the good thing is that we can now talk about things we didn't used to talk about online. But as you say, mm. now that, that seems to be kind of license for everyone to get it out there yeah. of whatever view they have. Um, you've written a lot about the role of the poet as being... You talked about the per, uh, taking on the role of ambassador for empathy and compassion, yeah. of teacher, of advocate, of activist. Do you see that as part of your yes. role now online? Tell yeah. me a bit about how that shapes your work. Um, I think my biggest concern, especially in these la- this last year especially, I think, is that it's the, the world seems to be growing towards a place which is less empathetic which Mm. is extremely concerning to me as an individual because I feel like empathy is the thing which will change the world. I think kindness is the coolest thing in the world. I judge my friends and my entire friend circle on what kind people they are. And all of my friends are wonderfully kind people and they come from all different walks of life. So if there's something that we should encourage in this world is being kind to each other, being compassionate to each other. And unfortunately, because there are so many people who are out there dehumanizing other people and calling them snowflakes. I'm sure you must have heard that term. Totally, yes. Um, So if you find... Normally aimed at millennials, isn't it? Yeah, millennials, women get get SJWs a lot. Um, So there are loads of these terms, which if you look at by themselves, they aren't bad things, but somehow they've been turned into insults yeah it's like the more empathy you have somehow you are less valuable as a person and you're too sensitive we could do with more sensitivity in this world right now like i i genuinely believe everyone out there is struggling it's the one thing we have in common other than death as a species is we all suffer you know the degrees of suffering vary but we all suffer and everyone could use someone being nice to them just once in a while, you know, smiling at a stranger can do so much. There's so many stories you'll see online of someone making friends with someone and that person saying, you know, if you hadn't made friends with me that day, I was going to do something terrible to myself. Mm. And the fact that there are so many of those kind of stories out there goes to show that we need more kindness. And I see my work as building that kind of empathy. And sometimes I will say things that people won't like because what I'm trying to encourage is just be nice to each other. Try and understand each other. Everyone is struggling and suffering. Everyone's fighting a battle, aren't they? Yes. So do you think that's what's caused this huge boom in online poetry? And it is largely young women, isn't it, who are kind of 
adopting that um, mm. as a medium and you know your followers I yeah. don't know if you've looked are they mainly women you know do you feel like you're yeah. speaking to women online I think a lot of my followers are women and especially uh, young women who are between the ages of say about 15 upwards and I kind of look at that and think this is great because I consider my role with a lot of responsibility. I don't want to spread any messages out there which are exclusive. The whole point is to be inclusive of everyone and especially of marginalized communities. So I like to think that women and non-binary people and trans people are my my audience yeah. um, and people of color and women of color especially. So I, I try to be very inclusive with my work and every now and then, of course, there are people who will say, why have you addressed this to women? Why aren't you making it like more about men and women? And I always say that there is a reason why I speak to the woman's experiences because I am a woman and I know what it's like. So I wouldn't go to presume a man's experience. I believe there are lots of exceptional male poets out there who kind of study the man's experience and kind of do it a lot better than, than I do. A lot of great writers like Matt Haig, for instance. I think he's fantastic. And he does such a great job of like encapsulating the experience of different types of masculinity and how all of them are valid. Yeah. You know, um, I think the Internet is so important for stuff like that. So I know you've brought one of your poems along with you yeah. today, which I think is going to be relevant to what we're talking about. So I was wondering if we could persuade you to yeah. read it for <laughs> us. This poem is called The Trolls. Um, no, no guesses where that name comes from. Um, it's based after a poem by Shane Coison, who is a phenomenal spoken word artist. And it goes like this. Prologue. We have talked about them before, but it appears their numbers have doubled, have tripled, have quadrupled since. So here it is, an origin story about the monsters amongst us with no princess or prince. The story. Banished beneath bridges, there were once brewing beasts we gave a different name. We called them trolls, short for transformations failed to humans with hearts and souls. In desperation to save themselves from the dreadful damp below bridges, a rumor broke loose, nailing the coffin into their last collective shred of decency that devouring a living human's heart would give them what they need, so they began to prey on humanity. But the more they tried to hurt us, the more we fought back, until one day we finally managed to beat them back until the stories became legend and the legends became myths. Yet this is where the story really begins. You see, the trolls were never dead. They were simply asleep, biding their time, waiting for us to forget them, to leave them as fairy stories. When the first child turned on his first computer, a tremor was felt. And that was when they rose from their man-made prison hell. They wore new avatars, and had learned to embrace their lack of empathy and morality. Instead of hearts, they now devoured hopes, dreams, and an entire human just being. They seek out the depressed and find the lonely. They make targets out of children and sow divisive seeds amongst friends and families. All through the weapons 
and the words on a screen. They make sticks and stones, whole swords, shovels to bury dreams. They break open souls, eat whatever happiness is left inside and cause deaths and suicide, destroy families and cause loss using just words, lies twisted into more lies. We cannot hide from them, cannot beat them back. We cannot turn them into stories again. We must face simple facts. They now live amongst us. Their bridges are burned and gone. They wear armor made of coal, still lacking hearts. No songs in their souls for them to truly hold. We cannot protect our children from these evil beings. How we can teach them how to protect themselves. You see, the trolls may have taken over the internet highways and chat rooms and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, but they have forgotten something crucial that humans know all too well. A monster is only a monster if we allow it to live in our minds and swell. So we teach our children now that even though monsters exist, the best way we can defeat them is to never give them influence over the way our minds make thoughts or what our hearts truly express. Wow. I'm going to be reading that to every group of school children <laughs> that I speak to from now on. That's so powerful. You know, the, the phrase that leapt out at me was the monsters amongst us. Mm. Because that's what it feels like, doesn't it, online, that you suddenly encounter someone that you could have brushed past in the street or met and you have no idea of the kind of violence of their yeah. thoughts. What... Um, you're a woman online, you're bound to have had experience of this like I have, but you know, talk to me a little bit about some of the trolling you've had and had to endure and how do you how do you deal with it? You know, the first time I got a rape threat, I was incredibly young, I think. I, in fact, so much so that I'd completely forgotten about it and I thought, oh, my first rape threat happened about three years ago, but I was about 15 years old um, or 16, I think, and I was in one of those AOL chat rooms Yeah, and I was a badly bullied kid. I think a lot of kids get bullied for just being different or being all sorts of things. But kids are cruel. And they, they always have been able to, to find the weakest part of you and then just hurt, right? So I went on a chat room, which I probably shouldn't have done, which was, I thought, like-minded people, just to make myself feel better and talk to another person who didn't think the worst of me who was my age, and um, some guy privately messaged me and said something really, really harsh. I can't even remember exactly his words, but basically it was a rape threat. And it's, it's funny because the first time anything happens to you, you think it's actually going to happen, or mm -hmm. someone actually says something to you, you, you think it's, it's actually going to happen. You, so for the next week, I couldn't sleep. And I couldn't tell my mom because I thought she was going to get really mad because I was on this exactly doing exactly what she told me not to do. And I couldn't sleep. And I, I had so many nightmares because I kept thinking this person is going to break into my house and they're going to come and get me because I was 15. Like, what do you know at 15? Right. Like in, on that level that you, you genuinely think someone's going to come and hurt you if they've said something to you on the Internet because you believe them. Mm. I've become numb to it which is a blessing and a curse because becoming numb to something means you're losing your capacity to feel something about it. You're just treating it as, it's, as though it's normal. So I think weekly I get at least one death threat and one rape threat. Oh, shocking. <laughs> shocking. I, I think I'm lucky because I know my friends get more. 
And and I think it's sad, but it's become part and parcel of being a woman on the internet, especially a woman with with an audience mm. who is talking about women's rights or rights for marginalized people that you will get a rape threat or a death threat from usually a man who doesn't like what you're saying. And it always, I mean, I've started looking at it this way. Initially, when I used to get them, I used to go, oh, people are so awful. And I'm like, now I'm like, people aren't awful. People just don't like being challenged on their own really bad behavior. And that means having to look at themselves and seeing something different from what they think they are. Yeah, I've never thought of it like that. So you're calling them out, aren't you, when mm. you're posting your poetry and your views of the world? Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. can seem threatening to them. So they're yeah. they're attacking. So there's there's two different ways of dealing with trolls. Um, that you know, people I've talked to, some people engage, mm. and others just block. Yeah. <laughs> What's your kind of approach? I mean, I do both. I consider it my responsibility, especially someone with a larger platform, to educate people, and. Sometimes people aren't even trolling. They're just ignorant, not willfully ignorant. They are actually ignorant. Like they don't know what they're saying is wrong because they're the kind of people that they talk to all look like them, act like them, are like them. So even thinking about like being inclusive for them is an alien thought. So I try to educate people. And that depends, of course, on the way people are talking. If someone calls me, a, you know, the C word, or, or uses a lot of swearing or foul words at me, I will not engage with them. I will block them because there's no, there mm. is no mutual respect there. I can't have a conversation with them. But if someone says something which is on the side of rather silly because it's like, well, you really do need to get out a bit more, um, I take that as, a, as an opportunity to kind of teach them that, look, you did this and you've said this and this is hurtful in this way. If they choose to react extremely defensively, I still give them a chance to like see what I'm saying. And if they carry on and then they start getting abusive, then I block them because then they're being willfully ignorant. Mm. They're choosing to ignore the education and be ignorant. So you've but, tried at that point. You've said, look, this is my view. Yeah. And then, yeah, so you, you, give them, you give them a chance and yeah. then, yeah. I mean, my, my, like um, you said, um, I, call, I said I'm an educator on a certain level. I used to work in schools. And a lot of that behavior does come from just not knowing. Yeah. You know, so giving people the chance to, like, really look at their own behavior is so important. But at the same time, there are so many people out there who are just trying to be cruel to somebody on the Internet. And it worries me because a lot of those people are, they have people in their lives who are very vulnerable. You know, like um, men who are misogynistic online have a lot of women in their lives and yeah. daughters and they use them and as shields. And what's happening to those women, you're yeah. wondering. Yes. <laughs> and they yeah. also use them as shields. Like when, when you call them out on their misogynistic behavior, they go, well, no, I have a wife and I have daughters who are very fond of me. And it's just like, yeah, but that if you're talking like this to a woman on the internet, like you're clearly hiding that aspect of them. One day you're going to explode at them. And it's the same as the mental health conversation when someone will say something like, oh, depression doesn't exist. It's like, well, just because it hasn't happened to you doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But yeah, it's, it's interesting dealing with trolls because the more I, I, I'm, I'm an evolving person and I'm sure like I've said ignorant things in the past, we all have. But if you choose not to learn from them, mm. you're standing in the way of yourself. So, Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So in your tweet, you said that you, you found that it was a good experience taking a break from social media. Tell yeah. me a bit about, you know, kind of what prompted you to take a break and, and what you discovered when you did take, I mean, you wrote a little bit about it in the tweet, yeah. how much you got done just yeah. in three days, <laughs> but what made you decide to do it? And, How did you find it? I think because my work is largely on social media um, and like promoting my books. And now that I have books, I've kind of started to move away from it a little bit because I feel like I enjoy writing my books and that whole experience of just being by myself and like percolating on my experiences and understanding what they are. I find that really beneficial to myself. And I also find that with social media, we aren't really designed to process suffering on such a large scale. Like... There are so many things that people are telling you, you should care about this and you should care about this and there are children dying here and there's, mm. you know, this animal who's being hurt over here and there's this and there's that. It can be overwhelming, can't it? It's, if you're an empath, you're tired all the time. You're tired because you want to make a difference and you're doing everything you can in your power to make a difference to whoever's around you and to people on the internet and you're trying to give as much as possible. But you forget that again, you aren't, allowed, you aren't supposed to process suffering on that level. You, no human's designed for that. And that's where social media is the problem. And that's why I thought the break was great because I did so much. I read a lot. I just sat with myself, you know, spent a lot of time with people I loved. And being away from the internet for a while just made me realize that 
there's also this world, the one which I'm already living in, the, the one of being present, which is so wonderful and so important, which I've been neglecting. So, yeah. So I read um, that actually your writing process is analog because you use a notebook. Yes. Am I right? And you write by hand. And I was really fascinated by that because I, I suppose I had this view because of the way your poetry is displayed mm. on Instagram that somehow you were, you were typing, you were a keyboard kind of. So why, why is the process analog? I've always found bits of paper, like a, a notebook to be a very inspiring thing because you can fill it up with so many thoughts and your handwriting changes depending on how you're feeling. Your notebooks are very raw processing of emotions. Like there is no delete button. Like you can see every single thought mm -hmm. you had, however terrible it was, however awful it was from days ago. So I try to write five pages a day in a notebook and then start typing whatever stuff which I found in that free writing session interesting or helpful. It's just been my process for so long. And I think it's because I love Margaret Atwood. Yes. And yeah. um, she, all, yes. Yeah, she writes like that. She, she, oh, does she? I didn't know that. She free writes for ages. Yeah. And then after that goes like that and then types it out. Um, and she also does this thing, which I've kind of fallen into that school of thought. People think that writers need ideas before they start writing. Like there's like this pool of ideas that you reach into and pull out and go, this is the idea, and then you start writing a story. I don't do that. I write my poems backwards. This is the first time I'm actually talking about this, but I actually write my poems. So I write the last lines of my poems first. Oh, wow. And then I work backwards from the top as to where that thought came from. And I think writing on paper, that's what it was good for is like I'd write at the bottom of the page first and then work upwards. Yeah, so, so you can see the blank space. That yeah. I think it's interesting, actually, what you just said about when you write down, you see how it evolves. I was thinking historically, of course, we've learned so much about previous writers by looking at their manuscripts, haven't yeah. we? And watching them, you know, edit themselves mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, cross stuff out and change words. And that's taught us a lot about the language. And, of course, if we all now move to typing we're going to miss that opportunity so yeah. it's it's really important that people like you creative artists are still showing how you know how your mind works <laughs> how you create your work because that's actually part of your legacy yeah I mean like I think if we I'm I'm a big believer in like digital books and all of that simply because I think it's a it's saving the environment it's the amount of trees which are cut down to like make so many books it would be great if stuff moved, but I love the tactile feeling of the So it's a really weird experience for me because I love the tactile feeling of a book. Mm. And the only way I've found to like counteract that is that I only buy secondhand books unless I'm supporting a friend who is a writer, then yeah. I buy new books. So <laughs> it's, it's one of those experiences where you really want to help and change something, yeah. but you read the way that you're used to reading. I um, think the process of reading a print book is different to screen. I, I do. Think so. And I think actually there's some research that we've already got about how our brains process information yeah. that shows that actually the printed page has a different relationship, you know, because you're more, as you say, more senses are involved. You're yeah. feeling the page, you're turning the page. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. And screens make you more distracted. Like, honestly, I, I'm a very avid reader, but. Recently, I've, I've had to read a lot of old Greek classical texts. And the only way which I've been able to really sit down and focus on the words is if I have the audiobook along with the book in front of me. 
because I feel like that's the only way I can fully immerse myself. Yeah. It's older language as well. It's harder to understand as a second language English speaker. Like sometimes I lose my way anyway, but it is hard to like sit down with a book and just focus on it now that because we've been focusing on screens for so long, mm. our, I think what is it? It's like five seconds or two seconds that people have to like grab your attention if they're creating content on yeah. social. And then you've lost them. Yes. And our attention spans, actually, there's a lot of research that shows our attention spans have fallen really dramatically mm. since around about 2007, oh, the invention funny. of the iPhone. So yeah. we've got no definitive research that links those two together, but I think it's not an accident. No. no. Um, so on that subject, I was going to ask you, what is your relationship with your phone like? Because <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is called It's Complicated because, yeah. you know, I think it is quite complicated for most of us. It really is. Like I, in the last three months, I think, um, because I've, I've gone through like a bout with um, anxiety, like I struggle with anxiety and I struggle with, um, with depression. So I found that I was sitting in on my phone and just scrolling for ages. So I put myself on because the iPhone does something called screen time. Ah, they, yes. They weekly report yeah. to you how long you've been spending and on the phone. And have you been looking at it? All the time. Like, honestly, like I spend hours on my phone where I used to think I spend about two hours on my phone. I spend about six. That is three times the amount I thought I was spending. So what were you spending most time on? What did it tell you about? Twitter. Was, was it? Oh, that's it interesting. So not Instagram. So no. I'm imagining because you're, and I don't like to use that label, but you're sometimes called an Insta poet. Yeah. But Instagram would be yeah. your drug of choice. No, it probably isn't. Like I spend most of my time scrolling Twitter. And the reason I scroll Twitter more than Instagram is because Twitter has... Firstly, the news is a lot. It picks up very quickly on Twitter. So, and I am like obsessed with politics, like on an unhealthy level right now. So I want to know exactly. And there's a lot of politics about, isn't there at the moment? And Twitter is the best platform to access it. But that's the thing which is probably being really unhealthy for my mental health. And you're a wordsmith, aren't you? And Twitter is about words. I think there's a lot of writers on Twitter and a lot of, yeah, people who, who work in that area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All the journalists are on there. All like um, my friends who are poets are on there. There's all the the hot takes, as they call them. Yeah, they're all on there. And I think my worst relationship with social media has been via Twitter. Mm. It's just because it's so unhealthy to just be sitting over there seeing what Donald Trump has tweeted last, and he literally is just somebody who likes to provoke reactions. Mm. So it's that's why the three day break. And that's why I think I feel like I should be taking far more breaks. I was going to ask that. Do you think you're going to be doing it more now, having tried it? So for three days, you were li- you were on nothing, no, no social media? No, I just, I took a, a, a sabbatical off all of my social. I took a sabbatical from the internet, really. Um, and you came back feeling better? So much better. Like, I, I had a lot of reading to do anyway, but like... I had no idea that uh, the amount of writing I would do would increase the amount of the because I illustrate my own books mm. and these illustrations are particularly intricate. I got so much done. Like I feel like we don't understand how important it is to just get away from all of that until you actually do it. Mm. <laughs> I do you know I say that to people a lot actually that you one of the things that really strikes me always is we've forgotten how many hours there are in the, a day. Everybody says they're really pushed for time, but actually when you put your phone down, you suddenly discover yeah. all these 
hours that you'd yeah. forgotten about because you're not scrolling through Twitter or scrolling through Instagram. And it is it it is a drug and it is a rabbit hole. Isn't there like, I swear there's a study which I looked at recently which spoke about uh, the fact that it's the same drug which is released when you get a like on Twitter on dopamine. Instagram. Yeah, dopamine. Yes, yeah. Um, as, and that's what people are addicted to. Mm. It's a terrible, terrible addiction. This is what I keep talking about to my followers as well. Keep taking breaks and be present in where you are. Like so many of us, like even when we're sitting with our friends and family, we'll just yank out our phones and start scrolling. Yeah. It's so bad because what is it doing? It's breaking down relationships between you and the actual people who matter, you know. And I think when you take your phone out, because we've all had it happen to us, what you're saying to the other person is you're not quite interesting enough yeah, to yeah. keep my attention. Yeah. I'm just, just going to be something else more interesting on my phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is an addiction. I'm really conscious that I could sit here talking to you all day. I'm literally so drawn into you and our conversation, but I just, I'm going to have to finish. But there are three questions that I've been finishing all the podcast episodes with. So I just want to ask you these three. So the first one is, what is the one thing you'd like to say to people listening about their phone and digital screen habits? What's the message you'd like to get over? Analyze yourself, reflect, have a look at how much time you're spending on your screen. If you're able to access an app that analyzes it for you, do it and then listen to it. Ask yourself if that's what you want to be doing for, say, 10 hours of your day or 12 hours of your day, when a lot of us also have desk jobs that make us stare at screens. And have you got a tip that you haven't shared yet about how you get balance in your life? I know you've talked about taking these three-day breaks, but is there anything else you do that's kind of your little boundary you put around not getting too sucked into the digital world? This is going to sound really silly, but I, I spend a lot of time with my cats. It's so soothing to have a pet and just stroke them because it reminds you, that tactile feeling reminds you there's a connection over there. Um, if you have a dog or a cat, walk them, like spend time with them, take care of them. You know, it, it just will make a difference to your life. And you'll realize that even like there is something other than so like dogs and cats don't have social media. So <laughs> wow. they're just they there did. to love you. That would be fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I follow a lot of like dog Twitters. And I dog follow and a lot Instagram. of dog Instagram accounts. They're I have so to good. admit. Yes, they are very cute, aren't they? <laughs> I think they are my probably my cracker cane <laughs> dog Insta accounts. <laughs> and my final question is, what do you think you've learned about yourself from your smartphone habits? I have a very addictive personality. <laughs> no, but, but seriously speaking, I think what I've learned is I was a very active kid and because we didn't have phone, social media, or an iPhone back then. And who I was 10 years ago and how active I was compared to who I am right now, something's got to give, you know, and which is why I've started taking these longer breaks, which is why I've joined a gym, which is why I've gone back to who I used to be. So it's important to look at your younger self and go, mm. that was actually really nice about you. Why did you leave that behind? 
you know, and I feel like more of us should be doing that because we spend a lot of time regretting what our younger selves did, but we don't spend a lot of time appreciating Looking ourselves. Looking at the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, really good point to end on, I think. Yeah. Thank you so much you. for coming and chatting to me. Do follow Nikita on Instagram and Twitter, Nikita underscore Gill on Insta and NKT Gill on Twitter. And her latest book, Fierce Fairy Tales and Other Stories to Stir Your Soul, is on Amazon and at all good bookshops. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, we've all been pushed around. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's Complicated. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps other people find us and it means you get a helpful little notification when a new episode becomes available. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And both my books, Off and Stop Staring at Screens, are available on Amazon and at all good bookshops. Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com. But in the meantime, from me and from Nikita, thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.